Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast, your weekly dose of Syria content. I am joined, as always, by Danny. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm good, thank you. I like to call this the Walking on Eggshells podcast because my girlfriend's a Juventus fan and whatever I say will be held against me. Yeah, definitely will happen, but we'll, we'll we'll try and catch you out at some point and send the clip to her. As always, I'm Casey, I'm your host here, and today we have got a great guest. We've got Scouted Football's own and a massive Juventus fan in Stephen Ganamas. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad, although, you know, seeing all the other three Italian teams going through in the Champions League definitely uh, left a bit of a pang, but we'll see how we go in the in the Europa League tomorrow after a, a tough season, but uh, yeah, not too bad. Yeah, as we all know, the Europa League is your Europe's premium competition and the only one that truly matters, he says, as a United fan in the chat with a Liverpool fan <laughs> after they've just got out of the Champions League at the time of recording. So we're going to start, as always, with a little roundup of the table so far. Obviously, again, we're just going to say Napoli won. They're top of the table. They're probably going to win. Get that one out of the way straight away. And then it, below them, it's a little bit of a mess this this week. It's just been a kind of just been who actually wants the top four. Inter Milan lost, and they lost in part thanks to a goal by the third generation of Maldini. Daniel Maldini got a goal for Spezia. Did you watch any of the match, Danny? I didn't. I watched it back and I looked at the stats and it's just one of those dumb games. I think Inter had like almost 4xG in total from like 30 shots and Spezia had less than one from four shots, which included a penalty, which won the game. It was just one of those games that happens. I mean, Lataro also missed a penalty so yeah it just happens but it was just dumb and of course Maldini scored that's one of those storylines yeah it's all about the narrative did you see any of it no not one that I'm gonna wake up at 6am to to watch into Spezia big blockbuster but I had to give it a pass unfortunately on the weekend yeah just to let you all know as you, if you don't know Stephen he is calling in from Australia so he he's got to wake up in the middle of the night to watch these matches so I don't think I'm going to actually ask him an opinion on what the Sampdoria match was yeah it kind of was like a bit of the old classic who actually wants it as I said all the top four kind of just stumbled a bit they either drew or lost it kind of was just a little bit of a mess this weekend obviously AC Milan drew but two teams that have just kept firing ever since we called them out for being in bad form have been Fiorentina and Sassuolo who both won again and as you can see Danny's face right now he just hates it after he made Fiorentina his most disappointing team of the season so far yeah no I'm happy because I like Fiorentina and I love Italiano it just they've kind of regressed to them like they were underperforming on a lot of their underlying numbers and now they're kind of hitting them again and winning games and climbing the table and looking good in the conference league. So, no, I'm, I'm happy for them. And uh, Artur Cabral scored again. So, he looks like he could be their first-choice striker over Jovic. Yeah, I feel like they've, they've had a, they've had enough goals at trying to find that first-choice striker ever since uh, a certain Dusan Vazovic, who we're going to talk about soon, left. We, we kind of did this last week, so we'll just talk about it now. I'm obviously, as a fan of a team who's struggling, saying who's your most disappointing team this season is probably going to end up with Juventus in some ways. But... Is there a team that you've been particularly disappointed by this season and their form, Stephen? Look, it, I'd say Sassuolo until a couple of weeks would probably have been up there, but it, it's kind of a similar thing with Fiorentina as well. They had their front line just completely gutted when they lost Olga, Skamaka and Raspadori in one summer. Like, to come back from that, you know, takes a bit of time and working out what your, what your attacking mix is. And they didn't exactly sign, I think, players to come in and, you know, instantly hit the ground running like Augustin Alvarez came in from Peñarol he's still young a work in progress he wasn't going to come in and you know replace us Raspadori level of production instantly Pinamonti you know he's not Skamaka he's okay he's decent and he's still got some room to develop and improve but Skamaka is definitely at a level above what you're getting from Pinamonti probably the one that's popped off coming in has been Loriente who in the last couple of games, I think has got three goals and three assists or something like that. You know, but even then, Borga was for four or five years, really, maybe three, four years, something like that, forming really consistently for, for, for Sassuolo and, and they had their structure around kind of the him and Berardi coming in off the flanks, Gamaka and Raspadori doing all these fancy little, little combo plays in the middle and it all is working. So, and it's the same thing with Fiorentina, you lose Vlaovic and 
you've got to bring a new striker in and work out what is the the maximum or the best way to get the maximum out of them and sometimes it takes a little bit of time and for both those teams it seems to to be working out then outside of that you'd probably have to say either Verón or Sampdoria Sampdoria pretty awful Cremonese also in the relegation zone but I don't think anyone expected them to to really pull off anything this season so yeah Sump I think is pretty shocking to to see them going down I think it's been a while so they're quite a historic Serie A club as everyone knows so to see them leave the division most likely at the end of the season is going to be yeah really interesting one after the off the back of Genoa last year the two um, big Genovese teams both going down in consecutive years is pretty astonishing to be honest yeah i'm glad that this this week last week danny had his retribution point where he's like ah yes these the guest agreed with both of my points in terms of who his most disappointing team was and i've had it this week with sampdoria because that was mine in terms of the most disappointing team that we did at the start of the season gonna put you slightly on the spot here i think i don't know if i am obviously as well as being a ua fan you are one of the editors at sky football you're one of the founders and I think instead of doing who's your, been your like, most interesting, most impressive team, I kind of actually want to ask who's been the youngster that's really taken Sirius by storm for you this season, I think. I'm a long-time Davide Fratesi, lo- Fratesi lover, and I think he's probably one that's taken another decent step forward this year. I think he's got six goals now from midfield, and he's kind of one that I've pointed out for a long time. He's got that, I've called him Vidal 2.0, because at Juventus, Vidal, in his, in his absolute pomp, was putting out, you know, 10 goals in the league in a season from midfield. And I think Fratesi has the same characteristics and can be a really damaging runner from midfield. Ooh, I'd say who else? Baldanzi's been interesting. I think he's still got a fair way to go, but I'm surprised with the way that he's actually been able to get straight into the mix in, in senior football and be somewhat impactful. Uh, I think he's probably still lacking the senior-ready physicality is super light but um yeah there's plenty plenty about him i think technically it's quite evident from when he was playing under 19s with italy and and whatnot and even in the uh, uefa youth league as well with empoli that that he had all those fundamentals but the, the step up and some of the goals he's got have been really really nice too Side of that i think fagioli coming in at juve i think it's another great example after samuel ricci and and davide fratesi last season player just coming in straight from having a really strong season in Serie B and just straight into it he's probably been up there with Juventus's best players this season I don't think too many people would argue with that so much energy but the t- technicality to max I think I think that's the been the surprise I think again just like Baldanzi knew that he had the technical fundamentals he's been a pretty solid goal scorer last season in Serie B you know always coming through Juventus's youth youth teams had the, the technical quality but he's such a such a energizer bunny off the ball covers so much ground doesn't shirk out of tackles and gets up and back the pitch really really easily so probably yeah one of those three i'd have to say i'm probably missing someone that's obvious but um i i'd agree on a lot of those i think they've been really good i think the two that i i would probably throw in there as well has been scalvini from from atalanta as well as hoyland i think both of them have kind of made the step up and i know that i've probably stolen danny's addition to this conversation if he, if he added it because he, lo- he loves Hoyland I think he, he's been a really he's been a really good force going forward but kind of moving on from where you are now we're obviously going to move on to the other news and it's been a really tumultuous and this kind of links into the Juventus stuff this has been a really tumultuous two weeks for Pogba so Paul Pogba obviously has been injured the entire season has come back from injury played 30 minutes looked quite Sprightly looked quite good. I keep saying he looks like he had a spring in his step. I've said that about three times in a row now, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's it's really the only sort of minutes that we've had so far to have a look at him. He then obviously missed a team meal, I think it was, and got left out of the Europa League squad. And now he's injured again for a month. And then there's been reports that are obviously at the end of the season that Juventus are thinking about cutting in, whether that's going to happen or not. I, I was really interested to see Pogba with these midfielders. Like you obviously, you mentioned Vaioli. He's, he's sort of the energy kind of, gives that lot of work rate that Pogba misses and Pogba looks for in a midfield partner. And I was just kind of wondering, what's your view on the Pogba situation? Like, how, how has it been for as a Juve fan, knowing that you have, like, that talented player who was really good for you in the past, just kind of there? And- well, obviously, I was stoked for him to come back because I thought, well, last year, our midfield was such a massive problem. And I thought bringing him back, someone of his profile could be, you know, very beneficial Obviously, at the start of the season, they completely botched the recovery from his knee injury that he had over the summer, uh, you know, trying to get back for, for the World Cup, which I understand. They tried a few things, but it obviously went very, very wrong. And then, yeah, he came back in that little 30-minute cameo against Torino in the derby, and he looked great. He actually looked really, really good. 
So I was thinking, all right, here we go. Run home in the in the in Serie A, run home in the Europa League would be a really important piece of the puzzle. Then he goes and I think, it, yeah, it was either, I think it was turning up late for the call-up to go to the Europa League game last year. I'm not 100% sure exactly what it was, but left out of the team for that game. Next week, he's injured again for, for a month. And yeah, you know, Italian papers always come out with, oh, Juventus are upset with this player and thinking of, of cutting him or getting rid of him. There's, you can't cut him and there's no one's, you're not getting rid of him. So no one's buying him on the wages that he's on. And why would you want to get rid of him if you can get him fit? Like he's still so good. That's the conundrum is that you've got such a good player. And there was always this risk. He had his injury problems at United as well. But, you know, even if he misses this month and, and comes back for the semis and potential final of, of the, the, Europa, uh, the Europa League, like he could still be very, very impactful. So frustrating, but you still need to kind of look at it optimistically with a player of his, you know, quality and what he can still bring if he can get out there. But I'm sure, you know, everyone at the club's obviously extremely frustrated because they're just waiting on him and waiting on waiting on him. And or, uh, during his recovery, there was a lot of tension as well that some people at the club thought it, he wasn't doing the right things. And there was, you know, a couple of times he went off on, on holiday and there was a, a photo at one point of him out skiing, even though I don't think he was actually skiing. He was just, you know, there. You know, you know you're saying all this and it just reminds me of everything that used to happen at United. Yeah, he, he quickly becomes the whipping boy for, for people that are frustrated that he's not playing. You know, it's not his fault. It doesn't mean he has to sit on the couch for three months while he waits for his knee to recover. He can still exist and do normal human things. So, yeah, it is extremely frustrating, but you can just only hope that he recovers and gets back out there. And when he is out there, in the 30 minutes we've seen in nine months so far, it's pretty good. Pogba kind of brings out the worst in like modern football fandom. Like People hate him for the most ridiculous things. And also, I think there's been a lot of off-the-pitch stuff as well. I mean, the Witch Doctor stuff was this year that must have been horrible for him to go through as well, alongside not being able to play football. Obviously, you can, you can forgive being late. Like, who hasn't been late? It's just the timing of it was off. But yeah, I mean, he looked really, really good against Torino, like Stephen said. It was ni- it was a nice little advanced sort of role they had him in. And it looked like he was combining well with Di Maria. He was getting Vlavic into the game. He's a better Rabio, really. Yeah, exactly. So st- why would you not stick with him? He's extremely talented and uh, uh, people have a lot of love for him at Juventus. So they'll give him more time than other clubs might have. Yeah, I think we'll get back to... Pogba a bit a bit later on because obviously we're going to talk about some of the Juve players and just kind of rounding out the other news sort of section. I think it's something we probably should point out is how well the Italian sides have been doing in Europe. Obviously, as we're recording this, Napoli have just confirmed their place. Inter Milan confirmed their place uh, last night. AC Milan confirmed their place last week. You've got obviously Juventus are doing very well in the Europa League. Roma are doing quite well. And then even when you go down to Conference League, Fiorentina, despite their struggles, have been doing fantastically. Do you think it's a really good... I think we just need to make a big point about... Italy have kind of... After all the criticism that they were having of how weak the league was compared to the rest of Europe last season, they've really bounced back this year and are kind of taken it by storm. Yes and no. I think there's some elements of luck involved this season. I think yesterday, Inter against Porto, they were terrible. They managed to sneak the nil-nil draw, but Porto could easily on another day stolen that tie so you know Napoli you can't deny what Napoli are doing this season having an amazing season conference league you know you'd hope that a team like Fiorentina can make a pretty good run like it's a decent competition but you know for the group stages and early knockout rounds he's still playing a lot of lower league teams I think they just beat Braga over two legs you know they're Braga a decent team but you'd hope with team as heavily resourced in comparison as Fiorentina is would be able to 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 beat them so I think you know it's hard to judge the strength of a league off you know last season's Europe results just as as it's impossible to judge them off this season's there's so many variables involved and you sneak through the group stage and you have a lucky round of 16 tie and all of a sudden you're in the quarterfinals so prefer to look at longer term trends for these sort of things and the long term trends is that you know Serie A teams haven't gone super deep in European competitions apart from really those Juventus teams, but that even that's, you know, six, seven years ago now. So oh, apart from Roma in the Conference League last year, actually winning the thing. But yeah, I think the thing is, is like, obviously there's the whole thing of people don't really remember the performances going forward. It's the numbers is probably the thing, like how many teams were through. Like everyone always used to put the thing up of like, oh, the Premier League teams have this 
amount. I, yeah, but I do get what you're saying. Like, it, it is one of those things where you think either Inter or AC, I gotta get a bad draw. Yeah, and Milan got past Spurs, and like, Spurs are objectively terrible at the moment. Inter snuck past Porto. It's like, yeah, there's three teams through, but only one of them actually, like, really did well the other ones kind of just went they got a, either a good draw or they s- snuck through it's just outcome bias like Fiorentina look good now but they finished second in a group to Istanbul Basaksehir who got beat like 4-1 off Ghent today Lazio outclassed at home to easy Alkmaar a team they have far bigger resources than if Juventus go far in the Europa League people are like oh look how good a campaign that is but they got knocked out of Champions League group by Benfica and they lost to Maccabi Tel Aviv Exactly. So it's good because it's happened, but Inter, like Stephen said, were horrendous. And I, I mean, they basically nearly conceded twice in 10 seconds in injury time last night too. Yeah, and Milan were up against Spurs who were terrible and that game could have really gone either way. It was so low scoring that anything could have happened and Spurs were pushing on and then Christian Romero decided to assault Leal on the touchline with a yellow card. So anything could happen. It's just the outcome, but it is good that they're through. It's just if you can prolong that for a period of time, then it'll be good. Welcome to our Serie A podcast where I try and add positivity and Stephen and Danny just smack it down with like the force of a thousand suns. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave that there then. I think obviously, as I said, just try to be positive. I think, But I think it's just a nice thing that they're all kind of through and hopefully they'll actually show some quality going forward. But as I said, it's a nice thing for you, but I'm a Juventus fan and I hate Inter and I hate Napoli and I hate AC Milan. So we're a completely unbiased podcast. We haven't already made the point that we don't like certain teams. And there wasn't a, there wasn't the first episode at all where I just kept going. I just, I went to Danny afterwards. I was like, yeah, my analysis for a lot of teams were just, they're a bit bad. <laughs> and I just didn't offer anything after that. But yeah, no, we'll move on to one of those bad teams. Uh, Juventus. Anyway, I think we'll start We'll start with the elephant in the room. We'll start with the reason that Juve have crashed down the league. We'll start with the reason that they're not doing so well this season. And I'm not talking about a 15-point deduction. I'm talking about Max Allegri. And I feel like I feel like there's a lot of pent-up frustration from everyone here about Max Allegri. I mean, I'm, I might be speaking out of turn for you, Stephen, but I've seen you talking on Twitter and stuff like that. What has your opinion been of Max Allegri's time back at Juventus? Yeah, well, it is funny that you say crashing down the table. Without the points deduction, Juventus are three points clear in second. But um, it doesn't definitely doesn't change the you know makeup of what this season has been, which has been pretty pretty terrible. It's just a probably a broader reflection of the other group of the chasing pack who have been equally as bad. But yeah, it's his first time arriving at Juventus. The team had just won the league. He had a pretty stacked team, and that's not to say that he didn't do well he was very very good his first time at Juventus he put all the players in the right places and for a a lot of managers that's something that they aren't able to do and he was pretty innovative as well he had you know Mandzukic playing in that like left wing defensive winger kind of role which really good he you know got the best out of players like Vidal, Hogba, Tevez all these guys are playing really really strongly and obviously Juventus came with that defense that was lauded for you know a generation with Chiellini, Basali, and, and Bonucci with Buffon uh, in goal. But yeah, now he's arrived at a team that had come off two two disappointing years. One of those disappointing years they won the league, but it just wasn't quite the same. And he, you know he arrived in the midfield was a complete mess. Then it turned out that the forward line the next season were, would be a complete you know mess. The defense couldn't be relied upon as it once was to shut down games and control games in the same way and it's probably exposed his limitations that he can't really think outside the box in you know once the personnel aren't top of the top of the league clearly that he might not have the answers in terms of mixing things up and getting the absolute best out of out of this group and I, I i still think it's a it's not an amazing squad at the moment but i still think it's decent enough to be far closer to to napoli than it is um got a pretty strong midfield group the centre backs are decent enough. It's probably the weakness is his wing backs, and you know, as much as I talk about Vlaovic, I think you have to pick one out a week out of Milik Vlaovic and and, and Moise Ken. It's decent enough. It's not Osimhen, but it's still a good option. So I think the team could be doing better than they are. The Champions League group stage was just a complete and utter disaster from from start to finish. Even the game they won against. Maccabi wasn't great and then they lost to them they got outclassed by Benfica 
consistently over the two legs. Destroyed by PSG, especially in the first leg. So, uh, yeah, it hasn't been too much to, to write home about this season. The team is really static and boring to watch at the best of times. And, you know, there was a lot of talk that the, def the defense was looking so, so good. And there was a run of seven or eight games in a row with clean sheets against some of Serie A's absolute salad dwellers. And then two games later, they think they conceded six against Napoli and three against Atalanta. Kind of showed the frailties again. So there's nothing that this team can really rely upon to just give it something week in, week out and kind of lay the foundation. Yeah, I mean, I, I give Matt Selecker a lot of stick, but he is a good manager. Like, I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna be impartial. I'm going to say that like, this is the impartial Serie A podcast. Um, I think the, my major problem with Max Allegri is that the style of football is the style of football that if you win trophies at the end of it, it makes it all worth it. But watching it week in and week out can kind of just drive you slightly insane. And I think Danny is someone who has to watch it week in, week out with his girlfriend. Probably can agree with me to somewhat point that we'll get him murdered. Yeah, there's a lot of cursing when, when that game's on. The most annoying thing is that Juventus can so often start games like really aggressively. And then they'll score against like these teams they should be beating. And then Max Allegri thinks... Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll sit in a block and become really boring and let this team have 90% of the ball. And sometimes it works, but like if we look back to the last game against Sampdoria, they scored twice. They could have just pushed on and then Sampdoria caught them out in so much space, like so easily. I don't think the personnel is great at the back. Bremer's very good. Alexandro, not very good. Danilo kind of does a job. The frustrating thing is that they could have someone better like after they got knocked out of champions league by benfica and they'd lost to tel aviv and there was massive rumors that allegri could be could be sacked and the zerbi was right there waiting to be you know extracted out of shakta and you know the club didn't pull the trigger and he's gone to brighton and you know that what he's been doing there is for everyone to see so that's just the frustrating part is that there's a, there was a good Italian manager there. And who knows, if they sacked Allegri at the end of the season, you could probably still get him out of Brighton anyway. But it's just super frustrating because, as, as you said, like when you're playing the solid foundation game, when you're just cruising the league every year, it's fine. And you can, you know, you're happy. It doesn't matter that the games are a bit so-and-so. If you're just winning, like getting 90 plus points every season, you don't have too much to complain about. But yeah, it's when you're in this situation. And you know, even if you got 90 points this season, you're probably not even going to win the league because considering Napoli are p potentially going to hit 100. There's just, you know, it's being solid, but the team's not even really solid anymore. So it's like, why are you trying to play that brand of game when your team does not have the foundations to really play it? And what you're sacrificing going forward is basically you play some of the most anemic football for a team that should be one of the top teams in the league that you'll ever see anywhere. And the team going forward just... It just plays in a U-shape going from wing-back to the centre-backs, out to the wing-backs again, hope that Kostic puts a good cross in and score. Or other than that, it's like corners with Danilo and Bremer, and outside of that, pain. God, there's so many parallels with United in this, con in, the, in, this, in, this in this podcast. It just kind of just, it's general. I think I think this is the thing, like, with you talk about, like, being replacing is that a lot of football nowadays is moving towards the ability to shift tempo it's not the ability to kind of do one thing and then settle into another thing like it isn't multiple stages the stages are, all, are constantly shifting there's like seven like six or seven a game where it's like you have to play a bit more intense here you have to play a bit slower here you kind of do that i think one as i said you've said the quality of the squad doesn't really suit that but at the same time it seems like allegri's whole point is it's just we attack for a bit and then we defend for our lives. It's not like we attack for a bit, we defend for our lives, we wait till they get caught out, and then we attack again. It kind of just is those two sort of phases, and I think that's kind of been one of their major problems, and someone like Deserby would have done something completely different. There's not really, like, much way in the thinking of, like, building and progressing the ball. It's either find Di Maria and hope that he does something incredible, or find Kostic and space out wide so he can whip in across. And like Stephen said, like Juve have the most goals from set pieces. Like it feels like every week Juve score from a corner that's headed in by either Bremer or Danilo, and they rely on that a lot, which is a great tool to have. But if that's not happening, and the way the strikers are going, which I think we'll touch on, and they're finishing, it's just so flat, and it doesn't really happen. I think it's a good point as well. Is Allegri was brought back after two managers that 
Juve kind of tried to switch the style a little bit, but it didn't work, and I feel like they got a bit scared and went back to, to Allegri. Like, you had Sarri, who won the league, but everyone was pretty miserable. And then you had Pirlo, who there were some signs, and he has his stands, but if you were going to buy into his thing, you needed to do that long-term, and there wasn't the patience for that. So I think the club got a wee bit scared. Pirlo Ball was decent, but he probably just didn't have the midfield to really play what he wanted to play and then the kind of the defense started aging a bit as like Pilo wanted to play that more of an up-tempo style but he really kind of had an aging team and not really of the the mobile players to to pull it off yeah the the thought was there but it was so flat because like you said the the, there were older guys he didn't you're trying to play an up-tempo style and you've got you know Ronaldo in the in the attack got you know uh, probably Chiellini I'd say Chiellini but Killing can do anything, uh, but you know, like Alexandro and and uh, Dechilio and like these players, it's not built to play that really aggressive style. So yeah, you could bring in Allegri to to do the opposite of that. But now Allegri, ironically, has a lot more of these players that could play a more aggressive style, and yet they're being asked to revert to you know Allegri's type and and slow it down. Like you know, you got players like Fagioli and Miretti. Ealing has, in his cameo, has been really exciting. Even someone like Vlaovic, like, his game is built to really... He, he's most effective when you can transition the ball really quickly and that allows him to attack space with his speed and he just doesn't get that at all. And, you know, I wasn't a huge Vlaovic fan when they signed him, but it's hard to argue with the people that say Allegri tax because he just doesn't get put into the positions that suit him nearly enough in, in Allegri's system. And it shows, I think... Rabiot has more non-penalty goals in Serie A this season than Vlaovic. That doesn't signal... Not that it's bad having someone scoring goals from midfield, but there's something wrong with your attack if, you know, the guy that 18, 12 to 18 months ago, they were, you know, hailing him as the saviour when they signed him for 80 million euros. You know, that some people were comparing him in the Holland and Mbappe conversation. And 12 months later, you're like is this guy ever going to score ever again because he's just getting clamped every game? Or unlucky a little bit as well, but... It's, he's so often, like, this frustrated figure, then they'll, like, put it into his feet, like, somewhere near the halfway line, and he just doesn't want the ball there. And you can see it in him, and then he's just become so... Like, the last game against Sampdoria was ridiculous that he didn't put the ball in the goal. But, like, you can see that he just doesn't believe in himself right now. It's because he's not been in those areas enough and he's he's being asked to kind of be a striker that he's not in this team. And I, I, I do feel for him. I, again, I've had my doubts about him in the past, but he will put the ball in, in the net a lot if you can get him into the areas and if you can get him in, like, transition space. Yeah, and that's the thing, because when he's static, he gets marked out of games way too easily. So you need to have him moving. And if not, we've seen it basically since he's moved to Juventus. There's been so many games, like the um, the, the derby against Torino last year. Bremer just sat on him all game and just completely shut him down. So you need to get him up and moving. And the team just doesn't move the ball quickly enough that it actually puts him in those positions. And so eventually he kind of just stands there. And every now and then he'll get a little snapshot off or something. But it's tough to watch and like Milik has just been far better in the role than Vlavic has this season just simply because he's much better playing that slow style and and working between the lines and, and combining than, than Vlavic is and he's not so reliant on getting out the back and and he has no pace so he can't use his pace to, to get past players and he's you know just better at other things yeah it's the rumors are kind of heating up now about Vlaovic potentially going to Bayern or somewhere in England over the summer. So that's probably going to be the, the next big watch, whether they, they cut their losses and jump ship early or if they commit to it. Because if you're going to commit to it, you probably are not going to get the money that you might get for him this summer. So that's the conundrum probably the club's in at the moment. Yeah, I think one of the major issues that I think Juventus have is that the two kind of creators don't really suit Vlahovic's game like obviously Kostic runs to byline and crosses it back in and then Vlahovic is crowded out he likes the ball in front of him rather than played over to him and then Di Maria kind of is the sort of guy who likes to dribble a bit bit and by the time that it's kind of in the area it's a bit more crowded for Vlahovic I think the main one of the main things is the best player that probably could have played with Vlahovic was Pogba because Pogba plays those like long sweeping balls in from deep that kind of go behind the line, and Vlahovic would be able to run onto it and kind of bungle it in. Like 
that's the sort of move that I foresaw Juve running with. But it kind of just become this thing of Vlahovic just gets crowded and he's just not that guy who can kind of deal with that the ball in like these little tight areas that he needs to. Well, yeah, that's actually a good point because Rabiot, who's nominally the most advanced midfielder of the three that Allegri has been playing, he's not a creative passer. Most of his passes is just like he gets it and then ships it out wide to Kostic and says, oh, Kostic, can you do something and get a ball in? Or as you said, if you had someone like Pogba there who's more of a dribbler creator um, as well as someone that can score goals, that could potentially um, unlock Vlaovic a bit better. I agree on and Dimitri, he's amazing, but he can be a little bit of a ball stopper at times where he just takes a little too long to kind of unlock things. But, you know, at the end of the day, so many of these things come down to the systemic tactical side of things and how quickly you want to move the ball, which is more than any individual individual quality of a player. It's kind of the intent to move that ball quickly is what I think is most important in in unlocking someone like Vlahovic's strengths. And we saw it at Fiorentina as they, they play a more vertical, direct style. And, and his numbers weren't absurd. He's got a lot of penalties, which kind of padded the stats out a bit, but his numbers were definitely better than than they are at Juventus. Like he, his non-penalty XG per 90 has gone down going from Fiorentina to Juventus, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think when we look at the strikers, you kind of have obviously Vlahovic and compared to Milik. I think Milik is kind of that guy who, he just suits the style of football. Like you said, he's just, he's not like, the he's not a better striker per se, but he just is more fitted to the ball kind of moves normally up the pitch and then it's like, oh yeah, now now he's there. And I think that's a similar thing with one of the reasons is it's a similar thing with Moise Keane. I think Moise Keane wants to play this really direct style of football. He also needs to be consistent and actually like when he steps on the field, do things. And I think <laughs> I think I think me and you, Danny, have had conversations before about how Moise Keane just can be like, he can be this amazing attacking force like one time out of 10, but then the other 10 times he just does something weird, weird or stupid. Stupid is the worst part of it. It's when he does something stupid that you're like, oh, okay, now we've just got the worst of Moise Keane. But it's just that one game is like, oh yeah, this is the, the attacker that we wanted. It's funny, he's actually had a decent-ish season. Obviously that brain-dead moment against Roma didn't help his case. But as you said, I think he is as solid, like if he did sell... Vlaovic and bought another striker. He is a decent backup option, but you just can't put your eggs in the Moisekin basket because you don't know what you're getting on a week-to-week basis. You might get the day that he decides he's just charging through everyone and he's attacking the ball, and but then there's other times where he can't get it out of his feet. He's just making mistakes left, right, and center, or he kicks out at an opponent. So I had so much hope for him when he was in his first spell it's hard to just even judge like if he's improved or not like he had that season at PSG where he's scoring a lot of goals but I could probably score a lot of goals if I played in an attack with Mbappe and and Neymar and he just also the problem is is you can't rely on him to to start every game because he's inconsistent but he can't get consistent because he's not getting consistent minutes so it's a bit of the like the the chicken or the egg situation where like are you going to commit to giving him some time so he can kind of iron out these issues or are you just going to rely on him as a, a sub player and hope that he one day like works it out in 20 and 30 minute cameos at a time yeah you think he got unlucky with the time in the world cup to be honest i think just before then he had a stretch where he was scoring a lot of goals obviously like in that psg team like everyone was like oh look at him now he's scoring consistently but i mean like you said, they're putting the ball on a plate for him. He was getting heaps of goals out the back as well at PSG. He was getting Mbappe light goals. Like that's what I mean. Like he was getting, he was getting, like he wasn't getting all the goals Mbappe gets because Mbappe is a much better player. But the goals that are kind of like, oh, these are the situations that we'd like to have Mbappe in, and the situations that probably Moise Keane likes as well. And it's the situations he's not going to get at Juventus because of how slowly we've just discussed that you move the ball at the pit. He's such a, like, Moise Ken, he's so weird because he can be like, the he's so good at like these first time finishes where he doesn't really have to think about what's going to happen next. He just kind of like, when he was like on loan before they made it permanent, I think they've just made it permanent, but like last season where the ball would like drop to him and he just hit it and it would go in and he would be fantastic at finishing that. It's just... Like you said, he's not consistent and he's never going to get consistent minutes. So what do you do with a guy like that? It's it's, it's He has a really weird case and I, I don't know what happens next with him. I think the decent mix is... Well, he, firstly, he's got the same problem that Vlaovic plays is that the, the team plays slow and he's not a technical enough player to really suit that style. 
But it'd be interesting to see how he'd go paired up with Milik more often up front. And that's probably a more conventional dynamic for a front two. But then obviously in that situation, you've got no Dimaria in the team. So it's never going to happen if Dimaria is fit. I'd love to see him get a stretch of games and see what he can do. But at the same time, you know, it's the pointy end of the season. The team needs every point it can get potentially to qualify for Europe if the, you know, deduction remains or make Champions League if, if they get the 15 points back. You've got Europa League that, you know, every game is, is critical, obviously. So potentially next season we might see a bit more of him, but who knows? Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because obviously the two-striker thing, you would have thought it might be able to work with Di Maria. And I think we should talk about Di Maria because this season has just been so weird and out of nowhere in terms of just how he's... Well, it's not weird and out of nowhere because he was always good at PSG, but in terms of just how some of the goals he's been pulling out, some of the situations he's just managed to get out of, some of the chances he's created, it's just been like, this is like a guy who's 35 years old and should probably be getting worse as it goes. And he's like, he's playing like he was when he first went to Real Madrid or was playing at central midfield for Real Madrid and all that. And he's like, just pulling these things out of nowhere. And I think obviously the goal in the Europa League the other day was just like, how does anyone score that? How does anyone think of that and score that? <laughs> yeah, that goal against Nantes was absurd the first time from the corner of the box, just whipping it top ins. But, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone had doubts of Di Maria's quality when he joined the club. He's He is what he is. He's technically just on another level. Probably the main doubt is one... You're signing him on a one-year contract. Is it worth putting the time into him over someone else? You can argue over that fact. And two, his injury history. And, you know, he's had his little niggles so far this season, but I'm sure the club would be pretty happy with the, you know, availability so far, apart from early in the season when he got that red card. But So, yeah, they're, they're talking about the potential to renew him for another season, which would be interesting. I'm not against it. But yeah, in terms of his quality, like, I don't think anyone doubted before and certainly no one's doubting it now. When we saw in the World Cup in the final, he was incredible as well. Technically, he's still right up there with the absolute best of the best. And we, we kind of see now those players whose game um, technically is just on another planet. You know, we see Modric, 37, out there today against Liverpool, uh, Liverpool and just dominating, um, you know, Di Maria, Messi, like all these guys that have this technical foundation can play until they're 800 and they'll probably still have games where they just gutter stomp everyone around them just because they're that good. So yeah, another year potentially, you know, he's got an important role to still play in the Europa League. I think he'll be absolutely vital if we're going to go anywhere, considering the fact that we just rely on him sometimes, just give him the ball and hope that he does something as one of our most vital attacking threats. So Yeah, I think pre-World Cup, like, so that first stretch of the season was a bit weird for Di Maria. He did pick up a few knocks he obviously <laughs> turned around and punched the Monza player and got sent off which was at the point where it was really really bad under Allegri I think you can kind of understand if he was sort of holding back I'm not saying he was but like it was his last chance at a World Cup and he obviously went and won it I think post World Cup he's been Juventus's best player he's just looked like that World Cup win has given him an extra spring in his step he was incredible at the World Cup he's been incredible at afterwards i mean some of the stuff that he's been doing some some of the ways he's just driven Juve through games has been incredible so yeah i think obviously he has 35 so it'd be 36 next season i like steven said in another year i think you need to start thinking about maybe who's going to replace him but if they can get him for another year i think it's no-brainer to be honest yeah i think a lot of as as what is probably running theme is that juventus is a lot of what they do and their decisions is kind of results based as in what what can we do with this season and see what happens and I think that that, that luckily some youth is starting to come into play and some more like long-term thinking I think we should probably touch on the 15-point deduction I made a joke about it before but obviously there's been a we won't, won't dwell too much on it because obviously it's ongoing there's not really much you can say other than the fact of the Juventus are currently 15 points behind where they would be obviously what was your sort of reaction to it like in terms of this club and how it's being run and stuff like that like obviously your whole board and former football sporting director being accused of mismanagement alleged mismanagement is not a good thing look I tend to kind of just see whatever pops up on Twitter and then 
basically ignored 99% of it until something actually concrete happens. So I think as much as we know now is that there's going to be some sort of decision on the point deduction, I think, early in April. But in the meantime, you have half of Serie A Twitter trying to play, you know, Phoenix Wright, detect, you know, Ace Attorney on some things, clippings that they find in Italian newspapers and from interviews with former prosecutors or judges or whatever. And it just gets really tiring. So I tend to just wait and see what actually happens. Well, for, uh, then you got the first case, which is the amortization one, the differences between, you know, the transfer value and the book value. And then you have the second case, which is the salary postponements during COVID. I don't think we've even had a first ruling on the second one. So that could be further punishment. I'm not sure what it could be. Who knows? In terms of board members, I think it was Agnelli's time to leave anyway. So for that to happen is whatsoever. Again, I'm not going to judge whether these people are in the right or wrong. I'm not a judge or a detective or anything. I just see what comes out and whatever. Seeing people argue as if they have all the details and evidence and can read all the legalese that comes out from these trials on Twitter is just absurd so i prefer to just as hard as it is watch the games rather than try to play twitter detective the one thing i did love about the whole situation was that the fact that that agnelli was so bold that the fact that he was under investigation or being allegedly accused of like financial mismanagement he was still calling out everyone else's financial mismanagement from other leagues he was like yeah you're doing it badly you're doing it badly and everyone was like are you really in the position to be doing this? I mean, obviously, like, the Super League stuff and that. The Agnelli's are like a long line of industrialists and, you know, they have a long history of, of you know, being rich and getting their way. So for Agnelli to feel in the position to stand there and, and call the shots on everyone else is probably just the way that things have always been done for the Agnelli family. So I'm not that shocked about that. I'm kind of a bit disappointed about Nedved leaving the club because... Obviously, he's a fantastic former player, and I think he's got a good idea of what club needs, and I think he was often overruled by Agnelli and others within the club that had much worse ideas of how to run a club. It is what it is, really. I think that now they're going to get a whole bunch of like lawyer-y, accountant-y people to try and clean things up, and I wonder what impact that might have on actual footballing decisions. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see. They're still, I think, trying to hire a new... Well, they're on the hunt for a new sporting director. Who knows where that will lead them to. Yeah, there's still so much in the air on the the hierarchy that, yeah, it's really hard to kind of judge what could happen into the future. The, the club's kind of just lucky that they've got some decent structures in place in terms of the youth sector, especially, that could hopefully tie them over until things in the, you know, boardroom and... In, with the senior team actually start to, to become better. I think we should touch on Juventus next gen because they are very good and they could go up to Serie B this year. I think they're currently in the playoff places, but the playoff places in the Italian lower leagues is a riot. So, But that would be huge for the club and I think what they're doing at a youth level, um, they got very far in the youth league last year, I think it was. It is incredible and you st- you can start seeing that in, in the first team now, which I think is what you want us to move on to, Casey. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. You've jumped you've jumped in with, with a point about young Juventus in, in Serie C, which always reminds me of that video of Alex Stewart trying to explain the, the Belgian league. It's just puzzles and moving parts. It doesn't particularly make sense. But yeah, we were talking about, obviously we've mentioned the financial mismanagement and all that. And what, I, what we've said was, it seemed to be that the points deduction combined with obviously not knowing what the future looks like seems to have kind of opened the door to more more youth being played, especially later in the season. And this kind of links in with one of the questions that we've had from Alex. He talked about how it's really paid off with Moretti, Fagioli, Sulian, Gatti, and some of us getting loads of starts. He wanted to know who's impressed you most. You've kind of said that, but if you wanted to give a general opinion on some of the youth, that's fine. And who do you think will be the ones that kick on the most going forward? Yeah, well, it's hard to argue against Fagioli being kind of the most impressive he's just had a really really strong season i think miretti had a few little injuries and just hasn't been able to get the consistent minutes to to really kick on this season but i've got no doubts either about his ability going forward i think he's a top top talent on the ball off the ball i think you know even i think he's still 19 he's he's very very well-rounded and he's going to have a big big career so those two no doubts whatsoever obviously we've seen the Ealing junior came over from Chelsea, I think, four years ago now, 
three or four years ago, who has come on in spurts and been really impressive. And I think that's been expected for a while now. And it's expect him in the next year or two to, to, to maybe go out on loan. And if not, definitely get more opportunities because I think he's I think he's got a huge amount to his game. They've given him a new, a new contract earlier in the year or late last year as well. So they got him tied, tied down for a little longer. But yeah, we've seen quite a few players. We've seen Enzo Benenechea coming in the last couple of games just because the Allegri just refuses to play Paredes for good reason. I'm trying to think what other names. Gatti's a bit differently because they brought him in pretty you know, only last year from, from Frosinone. He hasn't been super impressive either. In terms of players coming up, probably the big name that stands out is Kenan Yildiz, who they got across on a really big coup from, from Bayern Munich last year. And he's been tearing it up with the Primavera and doing really well in the UEFA Youth League that Juventus were traumatically eliminated from in one of the biggest disgraceful refereeing performances I've ever seen. Kenan Yildiz, but there's, a, there's plenty. In the next gen, there's this developing such a nice rounded base of, of talents coming through. Dean Heysen, who they signed from Malaga a couple of years ago, who Dutch centre-back, who's been elevated from the Primavera to the next-gen team mid-season, who's fantastic. But yeah, there's, there's plenty more names, and I think the club has done really well to, to establish the next-gen and, and already developing, firstly, signing players for them and going out and recruiting really well, not just players within Italy, but finding players from... from uh, high-level players from overseas. And then two, starting to already show that they can channel players from Primavera and the Next Gen into the first team and establishing that pathway pretty early in the you know in the Next Gen year. I think the team's only been around five or six years now, something around that. Yeah, already there's quite a clear pathway between the three teams. They've also got quite a few guys on loan. So you've got Nicolo Ravella, who's stood out for Monza. Uh, Filippo Ranocchia is also at Monza. They've got Coney de Winter starting at Empoli every week at centre-back. So like they're not just turning out guys for their first team. They're also spread across the top division in Italy as well. And they've come through that Juventus youth system. Well, yeah, De Vinta, Fagioli are probably like the first two next-gen names that have really moved into senior football. Then Miretti's like the next bunch of that with Ealing. And then guys like Yildiz will be kind of the third generation coming through. Devinter, there's heaps of heaps of raps on him. He's a really good athlete. Um, haven't seen enough of him this season, but I always wanted them to get games in him last season because I think he's got a, quite a lot about him, especially when you're playing guys like Alexandro at centre-back and you've got someone that has you know really highly rated that you're not really getting minutes into is a bit disappointing but yeah the foundations are there they're already showing that they can get players from start to finish into the first team so i think as we're seeing now all the best most financially solvent clubs have a way of getting academy players into the first team because it's the cheapest way of running a club you pay them lower salaries you don't pay pay transfer fees or you pay very small transfer fees to bring them over and when you sell them you book huge profits or they stay in your team and be first team contributors so Juventus have gone down the right path because in the you know 10-15 years before the next gen the the youth academy talents that came through were basically Claudio Marchisio, Sebastian Giovinco and Ciro Immobile and the, the latter two basically did stuff all for the first team in their entire career and moved on elsewhere so if you can go from having one guy really make an impact in your first team after, you know, in the whole 21st century until the next gen started and then all of a sudden you've already got four, five, six guys in, you know, five years come through, that's instantly a huge improvement and can only be a good thing. Yeah, I think that Juventus and um, obviously United and some other teams were doing that in like a couple of seasons ago where they were just going, right, who are the best young talents at European clubs who we can just go, here's 500k, uh, 500K for him, good contract, get him in. See how he does. Like obviously, we uh, Alejandro Garnacho, who is someone that Juventus have been trying to nab off us constantly. There's always the thing of Juventus want to offer him a contract. I'm like, please go away. I really like Garnacho. But like, obviously, there was that big move, and I think obviously Chelsea have done it a little bit more high profile of being like, here's 20 million for a guy. Well, yeah, I don't think the Chelsea model is necessarily when I talk about financial solvency. I don't think the Chelsea one is the one I would point to. Although they spent twenty mil on two very, very good players in saying that, but that's a that's another route entirely, which is more the Real Madrid way of like hoovering up every young player that looks like they're going to be really, really good for like 
absurd money, but just tie them down early before your rival. Yeah, they, 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 there's like a couple of steps, like ahead of that's the Chelsea sort of thing of the couple of steps, and they were just like, ah, oh, yes, we've. I feel like with Chelsea was like we saw what the other teams were doing. We've decided to go our own way. We've decided that we have money. But yeah, I, I think obviously there's been a lot of people. I quite like Baron Chair. I've only obviously, he's only played like two games in terms of the first team. But I think that that game that he came in when it was just, we don't want to play Paradez because Paradez sucks. Here's Baron Chair. And he was like, oh, that's what a good defensive midfielder looks like from Argentina in a Juventus shirt. Well, that's the thing is one of the best things about having a functioning youth sector is instead of playing paying absurd wages on a reserve player like Paredes, you could just have a player that basically provides equal production for like a tenth of the cost. And instantly you have either, you either save money or you have money to spend somewhere else to improve. And so I think that might be one of the lessons to learn is you don't need to have a 28-year-old veteran covering every position in your team. You can have some veterans that are really, really good. And then when you just need a squad player you have young players and plenty of them that are doing well in your next-gen team that you can call upon to to fill gaps here and there as needed. I, I've seen a couple of games, I think, probably hasn't been long enough to really show if he's got huge weapons in possession. I don't really watch any next-gen games. I've probably seen more Primavera games in the in the way for Youth League, so I haven't seen a huge amount of him. Plus, he had a big ACL injury a couple of years ago, I think, which which has meant he's taken his time to, to, to come on. But yeah, hard to see yet where he's got huge weapons in possession, but... Out of possession, he you know looked pretty comfortable, much better than Paredes. Paredes out of possession is an embarrassment to watch on a weekly basis. He's got the the turning circle of a garbage truck. So yeah, you can't have too many complaints when a guy can just come in and, and fill a role. And like you said, that's going to save Juventus. Like they don't have to go back to PSG and be like, okay, we'll sign him because you're going to give us a good deal. They can in a world where Juventus are going to have to be a bit smarter with their money now. They can go and look and upgrade a wing back and add some value onto whoever they're going to sign there. So it's just better. I think also it was something kind of Allegri was accused a lot of. I mean even back like the first few months of the season is Allegri doesn't play youth or he won't play youth. He won't do it. And it's something that's been leveled against Italian football a lot, but it's just not true. And to be fair to Allegri, he probably was one of the guys that stuck with with the people he knew, but he's got so much better this season. Well, his hand's been forced a bit. But when you get down to it, and he's, he is picking Baron Kale over Paredes when they're both fit, I think maybe something's clicked. Probably more shows how bad Paredes has been than anything else. But I, th- I think there was a good quote from Allegri in a press conference where they asked him about this, and he says, well, I'm a grandfather now, I need to get with the kids. So maybe he has learned, we'll see... But yeah, it's, it's just to UV's massive benefit. They focused on improving that academy. But one thing I will say as well is when you do show that there's those pathways, that is when you get a player like Yildiz who was hugely rated and there were a heap of teams trying to get him. If you can show that there is that pathway for them into the first team with previous players that you've had, that is when you also get more high-profile young players of his ilk going, oh, if I go to Juventus... I will actually make the first team or there's a good chance that I'll make the first team and they'll expedite my my you know progress through the youth academy. There was some um quotes that he was actually looking to leave at the end of the season because he hadn't been promoted into the into the next gen yet and then lo and behold a week later he's in the next gen squad so uh, we'll see how that one progresses but I think that you'll I think he's locked down with a contract until 25 or 26 so obviously the club would be pretty stupid to let go of him now and I think he's uh, yeah of anyone in the the next gen he's probably up there with just the most locked in he will be a senior level player of some sort whether he's a top 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 player or a really solid player I think he's yet to be seen but he's got all all the tools on to our next question this is from Aditya Sihaf this this I don't know if this will offend you because it's a player that we all probably love very dearly but how did Manuel Ocatelli go from a Euro 2020 star to not that great. I disagree with the premise of the question. This is this is this is the second part of the question. Is it just Allegri, or are there other factors at play? I think it is. In a lot of ways, there are some there are some things that Allegri ball doesn't particularly show him in a good light. I think he's still a great player, and I think he still has some great things in possession. I think he still does some great things on the ball, but he doesn't have that sort of standout moments that he had at Sassuolo and with Italy, where it's like oh, this is the player allowed to go and shine. I think like, if you're looking at it 
from what he started three games for Italy at Euro twenty twenty before Verratti came in and looked very good, and then also he was at Deserbi's progression machine where like his numbers are going to be inflated by so so much because Deserbi wants you to do one thing all the time to go into Allegri it's always going to kind of the numbers are going to fall off like Locatelli he's had bad games had good games but he's been a good player for Juventus I mean like he still does very good things weekly so I, I think the, I think it's unfair to kind of hold it against him yeah, this, this, yeah, this, this is what's kind of my point it's like he is doing good things it's just the fact of Juventus aren't a very expansive side in possession and obviously the numbers that will that most people now put on a poster as these are the good numbers from a defensive midfielder or a midfielder who does passing up the field they've gone down obviously he's got worse even though the fact of I think the wrong of factors and I think Stephen was probably going to offer a passionate defence. Well, yeah, like firstly, just completely disagree with the idea that he hasn't been good. He's been really good. The difference is, is as Danny said, is for Dezerbi, Dezerbi just got way more out of him in terms of his qualities in possession. Like he's one of the best long passers probably anywhere. He just doesn't really get the chance to play that expansive, you know, transition long pass to unlock someone and just no one ever, you know... He likes to play kind of, and when he, he when Italy played in the Euros, you saw this a lot. He'd kind of tuck towards left back almost, and play that like inside out ball to out to the right. His right wing back is Mattia Di Ciglio. Like he's not making these barnstorming runs down the right to you know receive a long pass. So his in possession game has kind of just been nerfed massively by the system that he plays in. But off the ball, he's fantastic. Like he's just a super solid defensive number six off the ball. You know, doesn't get beaten one on one easily. He's pretty. You know, he's not immobile in any way. He's not like like the difference between him and Paredes playing as a six is night and day. You've got one that can cover ground, compete physically, and you've got one that can't cover ground and can't compete physically. So yeah, I think no concerns with Locatelli for thirty-five mil. He's been solid as you can expect and I think he's just going to keep getting better as well the other factors as well that one of the other factors is probably as we've already discussed earlier on is the media machine have kind of been been like oh he might leave he might go Arsenal he might eventually go somewhere else it's like because he, he's not really doing as well at Juventus it's kind of like is he not doing that actually that well or is it just kind of like he got linked at one point and it's just easy to link him when you're not doing well and there's other midfielders that from the youth team that have kind of come in as well well it's just like a team team not doing well and then everyone's like oh everyone in that team is not doing well which is like kind of just not true you got to think of everything like on a context base and just because Juventus aren't doing well doesn't mean he's not doing well he's also a huge Juventus fan like he like is like weekly putting up tweets of him and like Juve tops growing up he's obviously not just going to jump ship like and yeah like like Stephen said, he had this connection with Berardi for so long. Berardi would push high and wide on the right, and he'd be he'd know he'd be able to find him with these long sweeping passes. If he did that at Juventus, there is no one that does that there. I mean, it what like it is Dicilio or it's Quadrado who's thirty four now, and if it was Quadrado ten years ago or seven years ago, then that might have been a different story. But yeah, yeah. So now Quadrado, he likes to ball to his feet and he likes to come inside and kind of he's not gonna push up wide. So yeah. Locatelli does what he's asked in possession it's just not as glamorous and it's not going to put up the numbers that, that he has and this is the final question that we got this week this is a three-parter because there's three different questions here but I'll, I'll go for him easily I'll, I'll give my answers and then I'll let you go Dieter van Gogh asks will Allegri be the coach of Juventus next season? probably uh, in what position will the end of the season? probably like 7th or 8th I think obviously like the teams around you have kind of stalled but I think there's obviously a lot of quality there as well and which players will leave Juventus in the summer transfer window? We've kind of discussed that as well, but I'll 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 let you I'll let you have a go at that one, Stephen. Will Allegri be there next season? My brain is telling me yes. I think I think what the club will do is they say, oh, okay, without the fifteen point deduction, you would have been second. Which, like, you know, we want to win the league, but it's not too bad. Say the team gets to all likelihood, they'll make the quarters and possibly the semis or further in the Europa League, and they'll go, yeah, not bad. You know, we liked, would have liked to have won Europa League, but, you, you know, you got decently far. And I think then then they'll realise as well that Allegri's got two years left on a very lucrative deal, and they'll say, mm, do we really want to pay him out? And all roads kind of lead towards him most likely say, staying. I think if something went drastically wrong, in, like if they got knocked out of the Europa League 
tomorrow against Freiburg, that would be potentially I wouldn't wouldn't be fatal, but it would then the scrutiny in the run home in Serie A would be massive. Um, there's also Coppa Italia semi-finals coming up against Inter, which I don't think are inconsequential, especially if they get knocked out of the Europa League early. But all things consistent as they have been so far this season, it would probably suggest that he stays. I think I think with the points deduction, we probably finish, I'd say, sixth. Probably bank on us jumping Atalanta. But to be honest... Do not think it's out of the possibility that even with the points deduction, that Juventus could still get close to fourth just because Inter, Lazio and Milan who are second, third and fourth at the moment and Roma who are just behind in fifth. They are vulnerable on a weekly basis. It's not like Napoli where you're like, can you please somehow manage to drop points this week? It's With those three, it's like you are expecting them almost every second game. They're going to have a bad result. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I would say sixth is probably the most likely. And then players that are leaving. That is a great question. It sounds like Alexandro is going to be staying. So that's a hard one to take. I don't think there'll be a huge number that leave. But Paredes is definitely going to be going. I'd say Rabio is like 70% probably going at the end of his contract. Quadrado probably at the end of his contract will be going. Milik will come back they'll sign him on his permanent deal. Outside of that, it wouldn't shock me if they loaned Gatti or sold Gatti at the end of the season. And Rugani might be the other one. But it just depends if there's centre-backs out there that they want to replace them with. But yeah, I can't see a huge amount of change. I think that's probably the, the best way to look at it. Is like, there's, there's going to be a lot of shifting around and kind of sorting some stuff out. And I think like, Allegri's position in the squad is probably going to be like one of the last things to think of. And it's going to be a very much a case of how much will it cost to replace him by sacking him and also getting someone else. Because obviously we've talked about coaches. Uh, you've said that De Zerbi would probably like to come to Juventus, but Brighton will probably ask for like a lot of money because they've probably got him on a very decent contract there. And I think, yeah, the, the squad is just clearing out some of the gaps where you don't really need the players. Like Quadrado's a bit older. Like getting some of the older players... Players that are leaving on free on the contracts and players that are just kind of there holding a place that could be replaced by a youngster or another signing that's better. I think Danny would probably agree with a lot of what you've just said. <laughs> Actually, though, the one smoky that came out in the Gazeta, I think yesterday, was Vlaovic to leave and Skamaka to come from West Ham over the summer. Which I'm, as a number one Skamaka lover, I'm all there for, but... That one I'd probably put in, I'd probably put that in the more 10 to 20% range rather than the 100% done deal city yeah. range. Danny's about to fight you for smack all over. He, he loves that man too much. I'll, I'll run through the questions. Um, Allegri will, will stay. I mean, would watching Deserbe every what Wednesday or Thursday and Sunday be an improvement on my life? Yes, but <laughs> probably not going to happen. I think Juve will probably finish fifth, to be honest with you. I think we'll get to a stage where Roma bank on winning or going far in the Europa League. And I think they're too inconsistent in Serie A to kind of put their eggs in that basket. And I think Atalanta are just, they're just falling a wee bit off. So yeah, I think Juve will climb to fifth. In terms of sales, I think it's a hard one to gauge, I think. I'd like to see Juve maybe do something goalkeeper-wise. I feel like they need a refresh there, but that's selling. Yeah, that you can't. You can't. He's on ridiculous money. So you're basically waiting for his contract to run out the year after. I think if he was out of contract this year, I don't think they'd renew him because he's just on far too much coin for it to make sense, especially given Perin's... I've seen polls like, oh, Szczesny or Perin on, on Juventus' Twitter accounts and like everyone thinks that Perin's been much better this season. So My rule with wanting to get rid of any player at the moment is just try and pump fake Tottenham into signing him. Because I feel like they need so many players that you like. Oh, they need they need centre back, they need a goalkeeper, they need midfielders, they need wingers. Just like anyone you want rid of, just go. Oh, he's a great player. Wouldn't he look good in a Tottenham shirt? His history, I find it hard to see him uh, going to Tottenham. Yeah, he's a he's a big Arsenal guy. I mean, he wouldn't have left Arsenal if he wasn't for the fact of, of like the controversy there. I mean, like, but at the same time, just 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 drive him there yourself. Just just get him in a car and just be like, go on. And just go and sign like um, another keeper from like the leagues and just see what happens. He's kind of not different to the De Gea situation. Like I think he's a top three wage earner, and the production you're getting is 
a diminishing return year on year. You will have those games where he's an absolutely outstanding shot stopper, but yeah. But it's it's just hard for you to justify like a keeper who probably isn't even the best keeper at your club anymore, and he's in your top three earners. It's just it's just not the way to run a wage bill. It's funny how much the perception of of him kind of from like neutrals or and things is shaped by his like three games or four games at a world cup where he's like outstanding but you don't get that every week at, at juventus like in my opinion i would much rather be starting pairing over him and like you said he's a huge wage earner and it, it does cause an issue but you just kind of have to stick with it for a year and then you'll be done make it sound like it's such an awful awful thing but yeah it's it's, it's such a weird situation to be in like this this thing that we always say like when you've got a player like and this is kind of what lean into what you've said before of like you can just bring in a young player and have them there as a low wage earner who kind of isn't good enough to be like the main starter but kind of is good enough to be there and earns doesn't earn too much it's like there's just so many players in so many clubs that so far that are like, these guys earn so much money and I don't know whether like a 19-year-old child, <laughs> like, like a guy who's still like technically a child would be better than their job. And it's just such a weird situation to be in because obviously you struggle to get rid of them, you struggle to move them on and you just kind of have to sit it out and wait. I guess the benefit for Juventus is the number two is quite experienced. Like he's been at Serie A clubs, he's played a lot of games, he's not young, I'm not sure how old he is, but he is... Parent, parent, yeah, I was I was talking about other roles, but like, yeah, Perrin's older, Perrin's like a, just a guy who's been there, I think he was at Genoa for a bit, and like... So yeah, he's like this very experienced guy that is, can do all the things Chesney does, but a little bit better, I think, but I think Chesney's highs are probably higher which kind of shapes people's probably fair. value of them. I think that's it. I think that's everything we have time for. This has been a, a really, it's been a bumper episode is probably the way to describe it. It's been great having you on, Stephen. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking. Your, your like expertise and your knowledge of the subject has been much better than definitely mine because Juventus are a club that I try not to watch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but is there anything you want to say before we finish? No, no, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Anytime. Always willing to, to jump on as much as it pains me sometimes to to watch Juventus. It's always a pleasure to talk about this. Yeah. So. And Danny, we actually managed to get through this entire episode without you absolutely putting your foot in it and probably getting in trouble with your girlfriend. But is there anything that you want to say in the last few seconds and go out in a blaze of glory? I think it's the first episode I've not mentioned any Scotland players either. So there you go, it's the first. <laughs> yeah, true, there is actually that. You didn't. You mentioned quite a few last episode somehow. You somehow got them all in. Or is it the Udinese episode? Uh, I to. I was, I was still mate, my, my girlfriend's Scottish Italian, so there you go. Scotland get away mentioned. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get it in every episode just to annoy you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna let you have that one. I feel like, I feel like there wasn't really much that we could have done else, elsewhere there, unless you kind of like said, oh, they should sign Callum McGregor or something. That would be an excellent signing, <laughs> all, all the time. Callum McGregor is exceptional and is everything. So yes, do that. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna try and finish this off before Danny goes on to one and talks about all the Celtic players he loves. But anyway, again, this has been the seriously good podcast. This is now Juventus episode. Thank you for tuning in again. Thank you for all your questions, and we'll see you next week. Bye.